Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello and welcome to Catharsis. I'm Tiff Stevenson, full-time comedian, part-time, massively unqualified therapist for this podcast only. Each week I talk to a guest about some small things, pet peeves, also old wounds that need healing. We dive into a topical gripe and a historical beef to see if we can provide some insight, but mainly some catharsis. You can sweat the small stuff with me. This week I'm joined by comedian, author and all-around legend, Shaparak Kasandi. And before I get into her beefs, you know I like to have one of mine at the top. And this week, I'm, I'm raging about Kindles. Yes, I have one, but I just feel a bit sad about it because I'm sat in front of my bookshelf full of books. And I think as you get older, you get like this nostalgia sickness, you know. But I really love books and I love the smell of books, the folded pages, the bits that have been underlined for sauciness or inspiration. And here's the thing about the Kindle. It doesn't have any personality. And I think you can tell things about people from the kind of books they read. Like a Kindle is too autonomous. I used to know a guy who would carry around a battered copy of Papillon in the back pocket of his chinos as a conversation starter. And there's nothing about that sentence that doesn't say bellend. It was always to have a conversation with women. He was like, I don't even know if he'd actually read it. He just carried it around. Um, And so I just, you can't judge a Kindle by its cover. But you can judge a book by its its cover. I also once bought a secondhand book of poetry uh, down at the South Bank from a stall, and inside there was a little inscription that read, Dear Ethel, sorry for a shit Christmas. And I just think you don't get that with a Kindle. So I'm just outing myself as a massive Luddite who doesn't believe in Kindles. I think the bookshelf looks lonely with one Kindle sat on it. You know, I worry. I worry for the future of books. I feel like this take is about 10 years too late, but here I am with it. Um, what about you, Shaps? I find your take very interesting. So what I would be curious about is, of course, you love books, but is your sadness to do with your love of books or your love of you time? Because reading a book, the activity also requires you to be on your own, somewhere comfy, feeling secure. And it's that whole shebang that you love. So people who love that will always love that. People who need that will always need that. So I also went through a worry about books. And what I find with uh, the good thing about Kindle is for me, um, when I run, I like to listen, but I can't listen to novels on audio. I love to listen to autobiographies because I feel like I've had Bruce Springsteen for hours with me as I've as I've been running. Audible, that element of books, I think, is a really positive leap forward, like the the audible version. But just reading on a Kindle feels unsatisfying. It feels like homework. It feels unsatisfying to me to like scroll through. I feel like I'm then like reading an article in a newspaper and I can't find myself fully engrossed in it in the same way as when I grab a book and I can just feel the pages. I just muddle Kindle up with audiobooks. I hear you. I've never, ever read a book on a Kindle for the same reason. <laughs> um, for the same reason. But I think, like you, I love going into a secondhand bookshop because they are uh, books can be people, right? Yes. And 
I picked up a book um, in a little place in Norwich that I went to, and this is a golden thing to find in a secondhand book, uh, a note from ages ago from whoever gave the book to whoever. And I found this book and within its page, I don't even remember what the book was, but within its pages was um, a postcard dated like back in the 50s, I think. And what I loved about it was on the front of the postcard was Cuckoo Schools in Hanwell, which you may know, being a Greenford girl, that that's where we did sports and it used to be workhouse. And Charlie Chaplin, in fact, was there when he was a kid. And the address of the person was Ho Street in Walthamstow, where there's a comedy club, the Red Imp Comedy Club is there. And that's how I know Ho Street. And I just thought, wait a minute, Hanwell, Ho Street, this was meant for me. And the note said, um, dear, bloody blah, I hope you're well. And then the person said, the jobs get done one by one. And I thought, this is a message to me about not overloading my plate and to chill. And she probably just, if someone's aunt moved into a new place and was literally saying the jobs get done one by one. But <laughs> no, but it's a nice sign from the universe. You took it to be, this is a message from me and this is what I'm taking from it. I love that. This is the section of the podcast we like to call Old Grudges. This is where a guest brings something from the past that they feel they could have handled differently or they're still annoyed about. And we attempt to sort of heal this wound. So hit me up, Shappy. Well, quite a number of years ago now, uh, too long for this to still bother me, I was meeting a friend of mine in a fancy pants bar somewhere by the river, right? And without realising it, I took a table right by a group of people having a work stew. The table, I, I didn't realize it was in that area. Uh, and I got there earlier. I got, a, I got there a good hour earlier um, to sort of sit and enjoy some wine and read my book and wait for my friend. And then I went to the loo and I came back and the bottle of wine that I bought had disappeared. And this work do had taken it. <gasps> Now, what they had thought was that I had helped myself to a bottle of wine from their table, from their big stash of wine. And I said, did you take my wine? And this uh, woman said, yeah, it's ours. It's for our work due. You shouldn't have taken it. And I said, right, I didn't take it. I got it from the bar. I have the receipt. And And I got really upset. And then she wasn't apologetic I went, do you want me to get the receipt? I was like this. Do you want me to get the receipt? Like, should we do that? So I could prove to you, why would I want to knit your wine? I went a bit like that. I wasn't as measured as I sound now. I hadn't had as much therapy then. And I got the glass. <laughs> it was horrific. So she gave me it back, but they'd had quite a lot of it. So I didn't get my full bottle back. And I went, do you know what? That was so out of order. And she said, all right, chill out. And that was what bothered me. The misunderstanding didn't bother me. The altercation didn't bother me. It was fixable. But she said, chill out. She didn't apologize. She should have said sorry. And she should have bought you another bottle of wine. I would Straight off the bat. Also, it's very bold to just go in and accuse someone of stealing a bottle of wine. I would feel afraid to go and take that bottle off the table and go, this is ours. Yeah, you think that if a woman's come into a bar on her own and stolen a bottle, let her have that bottle. She needs it. (laughs) More than us. Yeah, and I've over. What so? This happened about probably five, six years ago, 
And over the years, Tiff, I have revisited this and just go on. <laughs> what was going on for you in your life that you allowed your work colleagues to see this fucking shitty side of you as well? Like there was no part of her that wanted to look like a, a mature, generous person in front of her work colleagues, not even to pretend. And I'm slowly healing from this experience. <laughs> <laughs> do you wish you'd handled it differently then so when she said chill out do you wish you'd have gone over to the whole table and gone by the way you accuse me of stealing your wine as if I'm that cheap that I can't afford my like there's part of that and it's like I look like someone that's going to nick your wine firstly secondly when you find out that I haven't you've also drunk my wine so how about you go yeah. and buy me a bottle of wine? How about you buy me two bottles, you assholes? <laughs> you very, you... <laughs> I did tell her that you've drunk some of it, but I'll, I'll, whatever. I wish I'd handled it by saying, Georgia. I just imagine her name was Georgia. Georgia, you clearly needed to bully someone this evening and you needed to show to your work colleagues that you're this assertive person, but you have muddled being assertive up for being a, a bully. So whatever's going on for you, I hope it is fixed. And do you know what? I'm going to buy you guys a bottle of wine just to let you know that I'm not a fucking so <laughs> to show you how much better than you I am uh, to, to show you that I'm much better than you I'm going to throw money at this <laughs> bunch of us no I wish I hadn't got so uh, so angry I got angry because I'd had a load of white wine that's anger juice <laughs> right I wish it was red wine I was drinking then I just would have cried and cuddled her when someone acts in such an outrageous way in front of people you feel like that she must have a lack of control or power in her own life. It's quite nice of you to look at like why she's behaving like that. Because my tendency is to respond in the moment of like just rage. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, sometimes taking a step back and going, what is going on in your life that you like immediately go to chill out? I'm totally in the wrong. And maybe at, at your work, it's like, maybe that's why you're unhappy at work. Maybe that's why you've never been promoted because you can't accept responsibility for when you've, you know, fuck something up. Like, you know, like if you cut in front of someone in your car to be able to kind of, you know, people will toot you. And I've often found if I've done something a bit like that on the road, I go, sorry, sorry, I know, I know I should have should have got into that lane earlier, but I missed it. And then people are like, oh, because yeah. they, they they almost, they're, they're kind of taken aback by it because they expect instantly when you're on the road that you just swear at each other. But I, if I if I know it's been my mistake, I'll go, sorry, I should have got in the lane earlier. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Basically, they want to dance. That's with driving. I always call it say, oh, that person wanted to dance and I don't want to dance with them. <laughs> um, weirdly, behind the wheel is where the only place that I'm never up for an altercation. It's an ego thing, isn't it? It's you've attacked my ego. Yeah. And I'm exactly like you in a car. If someone's aggressive, I put my palms together <laughs> in a prayer and say, sorry. And then they don't know what to do. And it's a, it's a Bugs Bunny kiss, isn't it? <laughs> when he kisses Elmer Fudd. You Bugs Bunny kiss people. I live on a one-way street and sometimes people uh, really get angry when they're stuck behind a delivery uh, van or and they beep, beep, beep. And we all run out and go, look, we live here. We need deliveries. And sometimes they have a go at us. 
um, Bahasa, me and my neighbours just go out and have a sort of whole <laughs> West Side Story standoff. Um, but I, now I just think, do you know what? Let them be angry. Let them sit with their anger. Because if I get them riled, they'll drive off. Double, they won't sit and reflect. They'll go, yeah. I behave like a prick. They'll just get really angry at something else or they'll go too fast and slam into, you know, someone crossing the road. So it's best to just not dance with people who are angry. Let's not dance. Let's take a seat yeah. and watch the dancing from afar. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Next, <laughs> next time someone's angry at me, I'm going to shout out the window, my dance card is full. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your wine story. Uh, to just put a little button on that, Georgia, we've seen you. We're, we're, we're sad that you're unhappy in your job and that you felt she might be out there. She might be listening going, oh, God, that was me that accused this woman who was out on her own just to having a nice glass of wine from stealing art. Don't accuse people of stealing wine, especially especially not when you're on a works do and you're not even paying for it. <laughs> right. Like that is the most, that, that I think is the bit that maybe pisses me off the most about this story is I, you've also got the option of going, well, it's, it's on work. So just order another one on the, let's get everyone around. We're not paying for it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my attitude. Do you know, I've come across this sort of thing before when, when a Georgia is, is mean to me, um, sorry to sound like a six-year-old and then I figure that she hasn't learned to stand up for herself where it really matters somewhere along the line she hasn't learned to stand up for herself and she's bothered by that and she's got her own wounds about being in situations where she hasn't um, stood her ground so when she sees someone that she can pick on she creates a ground to stand on you know, she'll yes. go, yeah, I told her because I can't tell my boss. But I did tell that, you know, woman with um, a book about philosophy <laughs> that she's just <laughs> bought to look clever. Um, yeah. So she, yeah, they have a go at that. And uh, and I've noticed, I've noticed it when people treat me like that. They think, oh, she's a soft touch to take my issues out on. And I say I have broad shoulders. Well, that's good because that means we've given you some catharsis, hopefully, provided. Yeah, I feel a lot better actually talking about it. Thank you. We are moving on to the section we like to call topical cream. This is where we apply some balm to a stingy news story that's got you all het up. Something from the news or something that's happening, big or small, that's sort of getting under your skin. Right. Okay. What's really getting under my skin is the way this whole maths until they're 18 thing that the government is trying to push is being uh, put on the table. And thoughtless people are talking about something that I do do think it exists that what did he say about it? He said something like the... um, I can't remember what the terminology it was that was used, but it was something about be, people being almost proud of being rubbish at maths, right? The pledge was to require all pupils to study maths until the age of 18. Yeah. Um, policy that comes from concerns millions of adults in the country have numeracy skills of primary age children. Right. So here is my issue with that, right? I got a D from for my maths GCSE and I retook it and I, I got an E. I was so ashamed of my inability to count uh, that I, I just couldn't 
tell this this bar I worked in this bar and they wouldn't let me have a calculator and I got in a right old muddle and the tills were down so they took it out of everyone's tips and everyone everybody hated me I burn with shame when it comes to sums right because I had tutors I had one tutor this woman that lived upstairs and I felt such shame around maths and then I discovered this this thing my brother said to me Shaq we've got dyscalculia you and me both of us because both of our parents are geniuses at maths and so that was bad because they wouldn't understand why their kids were like this and and when Pavan said when my brother said this I looked it up and I thought that makes sense to me and this is the problem that yes if you're in a restaurant and you're splitting the bill with friends, somehow it is socially acceptable to thrust the bill at someone else and go, oh, you do it, I'm rubbish at maths. Um, but it's not acceptable to sort of, um, I don't know, get a text message and say to someone, oh, could you read that? Because I can't read, right? Yeah. I understand that. Both things are extremely important. But um, I can't do maths, Tiff. <laughs> I can't fucking do it. I can't do it. And there are kids like me that sat there feeling like utter dunces. And there's mums like me that have uh, kids in lockdown who needed help with their maths homework. And I end up crying because I can't do a six-year-old's maths. I cannot do a six-year-old's maths. And both my kids are brilliant at maths. So I've had to talk to them and say, you are not allowed to take the piss out of my maths because... I've got a problem and and I've I've struggled with it. And that's what is being ignored by Mr. Sunak. But I would argue the maths that I learned at school isn't, and you may agree with this, isn't massively useful in the real world. Because my my dad is mathematically a genius who can do Mm. like all of it in his head. And when I was at school, he was like, I can't believe they allow calculators into exams. I mean, what's the... You know, I can't remember if we did have or we were allowed for some parts, but but uh, stuff like formula, mm. I didn't really understand how that was going to play out in my real day to day life. Things that could have been useful were doing stuff like a household budget or mm. teaching people about tax returns. Yeah, that, that was that was never part of any of the the kind of maths that we did at school. So, like how you would use math in a real ter- in real world, like credit card interest rates how would they apply and spreadsheets for that kind of thing which might have been quite useful I think all of this sort of stuff which I didn't learn at school um yeah that that I feel like so I don't understand what's your maths to 18 gonna do like and why can't people use calculators calculators exist um and that's it people who are really good at doing mental arithmetic get annoyed because they're like well why should someone get an advantage but that's like if you need glasses you'd wear them if you need a calculator use it why is that a bad thing yeah what's wrong with kindle you know you can read but you can also (laughs) do kindle um i think that is a really good point because the the sort of practical um financial skills of life are not taught at school i think they should i think you should be taught how a mortgage works how rent works how how deposit works you know you need a rental property but you also need to have a deposit so whether you're buying a house or renting a house you need to save up people don't know this stuff when they come out of school or what what, yeah interest rates what they are I also think attachment theory should be um, taught in schools but that's another matter but I think that it's maths if they if they explain to to kids as well that it's not just about numbers and adding up and 
formulas. It's about problem solving and comprehension and reading questions correctly and comprehending questions. And it's a language and everyone learns languages differently. And being sort of stuck in a room with 30 other kids, and the teacher saying something and then going, right, did everyone get that? No, mate, I didn't. Which bit didn't you get? Where would you like me to start? It's like you've you've walked in, you've talked to me in Japanese, a language I don't speak. I've told you I don't understand it, what you just said. And you tell me what part of this Japanese lecture that I've just given did you not understand? That is discal- <laughs> that's discalculia. <laughs> Right, right. And so this plan that Rishi has is, I think it's been roundly criticised, actually, just having a look here, uh, saying people don't know why they think it's a worthy ambition. Lack of maths teachers and focus on exams meant fundamental reform would be needed. Because saying doing it to 18 just means more exams. We'll do exams at 15, 16. We'll do exams at 17. We'll do exams at 18. What is this? What is this given us? And also, the way it works at the moment, you're given a choice. If you want to do an A level in maths, you can continue doing maths. If you want to do a degree in maths, you can continue. You know, but you know, I think Rishi was obviously good at it. It feels like the school SWAT going, "Hey, other people aren't as good as me at this." Um, But I didn't know that that was a that was a thing. Dyscalculia is that what you called it? Yeah. So it's like dyslexia, but with numbers? Is that the... Some people call it maths dyslexia, which is not right. right. It's That's incorrect. That's a sort of um, simple way, because I'm dyslexic too. Oh, so many. I just find it fascinating because both of my kids are, they walk maths. Like my boy's doing uh, maths and further maths A-level. My daughter does maths for fun. And I just look at these... It's skipped a generation then. Absolutely skipped a generation. Um, it's so strange. And I found myself, the shame of not do, being able to do maths was impairing my mothering. Because my kids, when they realized that I can't do maths, it was like, I was so ashamed. And so I, I had to talk to them about it. And they're so, they're so sweet. They're so um, kind to me around maths. Like if I say something like this morning, I said to Vivi, God, I got I got to bed at one o'clock in the morning last night and I got up at six. So I've only had five hours sleep. And she said, oh, mummy, you did that in your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I bet they know, though. They're like, listen, mum's not great at maths, but she's awesomely funny, which uh, manages to like pay for everything we have so you've made up for it in another area you know what it's like to love a teenaged uh boy um (laughs) when they say something nice about you you hang on to it yes and Cass my little mathematician he's very uh you know black white whenever I feel insecure about something I go oh I can't help Vivi with maths homework and then he went he, he goes you're the most supportive mother we could ask for. Just relax. <laughs> Thank you. In a very matter, in a very matter of fact way. Yes, yeah, I can see him doing that. Do not worry, mother. <laughs> I under, I I appreciate you. <laughs> in spite of your lack of mathematical ability, I appreciate you. That's very sweet. Well, his Mother's Day card was like an appraisal. It was like a work appraisal. <laughs> 
it was like um you know you are you are a, a very a very good mother way above adequate and one thing you need to work on is perhaps um being less critical of yourself is an area you need to work i mean he he, he meant it to be funny but it's kind of <laughs> Also comes from a very true place. I sat and thought about. I got a beautiful card from my stepson one year that said, "I know you're not genetically my mother," and then put, but because he just learnt the word genetically, and put it in brackets, and then put big important word, but you are. (laughs) You know, and then sometimes I'll get to my funny one, the funny mum. You know, very sweet, like uh, like you say, the earnestness is quite, you know, this is before they become men, you see. I wonder whether as they get older, they lose the earnestness, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your uh, your your topical gripe with us. Hopefully you feel a bit better getting that out there. But I, I feel you and I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, let us know, listeners, how, how do you feel about maths going to 18? We need to move on to the unpopular opinion section of the podcast. Now, this is very easy for comics, I tend to find. (laughs) This is the thing that everyone hates, but you love, or vice versa. Hit me. I can't stand it when people save seats. (gasps) I can't bear it. When um, you go to a pub and it's busy and there's someone sitting there and you're with your friends and you've been in there for ages and then you spot a seat and you go over and you say, is this seat taken? And they go, um, yes, it is. It's taken. And I think, well, is your friend in the toilet? No, they're on their way. And then you go and stand again and you look at that seat and it's empty for like an hour. And I think my bum is here. Your friend's yes. bum is not here. Where's your friend's bum? <laughs> Where is your friend's bum? Your, your friend's bum is late. Mine was on time. My feet hurt. How can you sit there seeing other human beings in discomfort because your cardigan's on a chair? Why does your cardigan give you ownership of that chair? Or where people go to, you know, there's that, um, the Union Chapel in um, Islington. I go and see bands there. Um, and then it's not numbered seats. Oh, it's benches. It's long benches, yeah. isn't it? So people go there and they put their belongings on the benches. They go early put that, and then they go off to the bar and have a meal. I just don't think that's fair. I just don't understand. Like if my friend's coming to a pub and my friend isn't there yet, if it's different if they're in, they're in the bar or in the loo and someone says, is it taken? I say, take it. I just can't. Yeah. You're, you're here. So that is something that I differ with with people. Oh, no, I think that's a fair... I've been known to put my bags on the chair next to me on the tube. But if it's empty... Mm-hmm. But then I've also known people to come on when the entire carriage is empty and your bag is there and they go, move your bag. And you're like, but the whole carriage is empty and I'm just putting it in here so I can have a rummage. Like, that feels like pointlessly needly. I have done before where I've gone, oh, cool. Well, it'd be fine if we sit on it till your friend gets here. Yes. And then see what happens, you know? Yeah. You don't get to hold the chair hostage for half an hour, 45 minutes. It's just the lack of community spirit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not even like I really want to sit down. It's where is your generosity? 
we're in a public place. God forbid you talk to a stranger. God forbid you sort yeah. of let. I think one seat as well, but I've seen people like take whole sections. Yeah. So you've got one person and there's a round table of like six with stools around it. And you're like, no, I'm here for all of them. And you're like, well, they best all be at the bar getting drinks then. Cause otherwise yeah. this feels mad. Yes. Yeah, so one person's come early. So nine people can be. And all you'll get in a coffee shop, one person with a cup of coffee on a table for four and they've spent two pounds and they've probably been there for three hours. And then you're like, you've ordered big plates of food and you've got nowhere to sit. And you're like, I've spent money and you're just like taking up seats and I can't sit and eat my dinner. That kind of shit drives me, drives me insane. Yeah. It's not looking up and giving a shit about where you are and other people's predicaments yeah yeah I say let's let's put a rule in place I think if the person is in the venue and they're at the bar it's acceptable to hold a seat if they are on their way it is not acceptable to hold a seat you just got to wait till they get there wait for them outside just you know like don't don't be like sitting down taking four chairs so if they're at the bar that's the only time and also one person can hold one seat. You cannot be one person holding five seats. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. These are the rules. You're allowed to hold one seat for someone who's going to get, and then that's it. Or, or you know, one seat, if, if it's just the two of you, and you know they're going to be there in like five, ten minutes, and they're running late. But don't be a group of people. With five, and they're smug about it. This is the worst thing. If you go over, you they make you feel like shit for asking. They make yeah. you feel like you've asked, to join their gang or something um and you go may I have this oh no we're waiting for people because we know far more people than you do (laughs) that's the vibe they give me so that's my own insecurities and also the people that have a go at you when your bag's on a train on an empty carriage like the wine lady they haven't been able to stick up for themselves in another part of their day or their week yes and this is what they're doing yeah when the train's busy I wouldn't do it but when it's empty and I just want to rummage around to get my lipstick out of my bag, you know, then I'm I'm going to woman spread, Shappy. I'm not afraid to yeah. say it. I'm woman spreading. Time for historic beef. Before I get into this, Shappy, you've brought this one to the table. So I might get you to introduce it because uh, I've read a little bit on it. But this is where we look at uh, historical or past arguments, rivalries, and you said specifically you'd like to talk about Stormzy v. Wiley. So yeah. tell us tell us what you know about this beef. All right. So I was absolutely locked in to the beef between Stormzy and Wiley, both grime artists. Wiley was known as the godfather of grime. And uh, Wiley's in his 40s. Of course, Stormzy um, at the time was in his 20s. And uh, Stormzy has a has a track called Wiley Flow. So I always thought they must love each other. And yeah, but you know, obviously, there's uh, in the culture there's 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 the the, the dancing that we discussed earlier. Um, and then what happened was, I by the way, I have to preface this with I absolutely love Stormzy with my heart and soul. Like he's my son. He's your guy, and he's my guy. Um, and Wiley. We can't talk about Wiley uh, without saying that he is a big fat racist as well because he um, was horribly anti-Semitic in 2020, shortly after this beef um, 
interestingly or not. So Stormzy did a track with Ed Sheeran. That's a surprise collaboration. I don't really sort of see Sheeran as a grime guy, but it's, 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 it's piqued my interest. I haven't heard it, so I should listen to this track. Um, it's great. And he um, is a grime. See, I'm a grime. I love, I love grime. And I grew up loving hip hop. And that surprises some people. But um, there we are. But I, I'm not, I, didn't, I don't know the culture, right? So then I found it fascinating that what um, Wiley did, he sent for Stormzy. Oh, right. So okay. If someone sends for you, you've got to go, right? And he sent for him by doing a diss track called Idiot Scale. Um, anyone listening to this will go, all right, Grandma, get it out. <laughs> Idiot Skagman, right? Skagman, which is one of um, Stormzy's nicknames. Anyway, the point is, he did a track cussing Stormzy. So he started the beef. Are we getting that the beef was instigated by Wiley and then Stormzy is responding? Yeah, in response to him doing a thing with Ed Sheeran. And his issue, his issue was Ed's now jumping on the grime scene and uh, he, he sort of, his issue with with Stormzy was Ed Sheeran can use you but you're not allowed to use him that's the thing they can use us we can't use them and I was like welcome to showbiz (laughs) at the time Stormzy was at the you know he was just the I mean he still is the king right heavy as the head and all of that but in the middle of all this he wasn't too big for his boots yet (laughs) well no (laughs) he then had to go and write a diss track to Wiley, which was brilliant. What did he say? Um, my, one of my favourite lyrics was, uh, the only thing bigger than me last year was Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was like, he, he was just absolutely a star had risen. He was stratospheric. And then he had to go, oh, for fuck's sake, Wiley <laughs> sent for me. And he did it. And then Wiley did another diss track and then they cussed each other's mums and all of this stuff. That was the bit that I saw. So I saw that Wiley originally kind of said the next generation of grime is like Stormzy and uh, Lady Lisha, you know, people like that. So he was kind of giving them props going, they're coming through, they're bringing new things. Then the bit that I read was just this like kind of beef that started on Twitter about Ed Sheeran that then went yeah. into diss tracks and then everyone's calling out. It does feel like the rap battles of the sort of nineties and stuff where now everyone's mum's involved. Yeah. And that's the, <laughs> that's the misogyny of it as well. It's like, whore, you know, your mum, all of that. And I think, Oh, come on. Why is it when you want to attack one another, you attack mums? I thought whatever, but um, disappointed and still disappointed with Stormzy's tracks. And I just found the whole thing fascinating. Like that Stormzy is this guy and he's just got international fame and he's headlining Glastonbury. But his allegiance to the roots of his art are such that he had to stop in his tracks. I don't know how many meetings he had to cancel, how many Zoom calls he had to so I've got to come back and address this I've just got to go and uh, write a whole uh, track uh, cussing um, Wiley and they did that and I kind of so here's what I love about Grime I think as a stand-up comedian uh, it's it's uh, very close to what we do or particularly did in the 90s so I find that in the 
90s when uh, comedy was the most punk thing you could do. It wasn't mainstream. It was broken souls that ended up on the circuit and built their career from the ground up with no pedigree in the business, with no, um, you know, you didn't have to be university educated or anything like that. And then it kind of becomes what it is now, which, which is, is a main- commercialized mainstream. Yeah, version. which is really mainstream. And and it's kind of went into all different fractions, people calling themselves, you know, comics when, you know, to, to a spit and sawdust is my favorite expression. I say that with pride, stand yeah. up. It's like, okay, but it, it, it stand up. Um, <laughs> and I just find that crime is is the equivalent of of that raw grassroots stand up where you're like you're in the bear pit you've only got you're, you're not doing it for the money like you, no one did it in the 90s well <laughs> not many did it in the 90s thinking this will make me rich this will make me famous it was about the here and now and the people around you and the stories you want to tell and the audiences were different they were fucked up souls as well and and it's changed now and I just thought it'd be hilarious like if we comics could do that you want to start some beef with some with some TikTok I mean, people? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send for Rosie Holt. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that with love. I say that with love, Rosie. It just made me giggle because, you know, Wiley, it just we felt, feel, it felt like Wiley can't move with the times. And as a comic, you know, there's a point because I'm such an old bat. I have to go, do you know what? No. The medium's changed. It's expanded. Grow with it. It's incredible. And actually, these uh, the the YouTube comics can I can't bloody do what they do. It takes up so much of their day. They've got to have technical know how. It's a whole other skill set. But I would say doing an hour show is not the same as throwing some stuff up on TikTok. So there is a there's a new school and there's an old. And it would be really good to get some some Twitter beef going. So let's uh, let's get that. Let's get that happening, Shappy, because do you know what? It sells tickets. I think that's part of it as well. When you see these pop rivalries, these big pop rivalries or literary beefs, which happen over the years, like Mm. you're kind of like, oh, this feels a bit gross. And then you go, does it? Does the rivalry spur the other side on to just create and get better? But uh, there is that. But um, also, I think just to go back to comedy is that our generation of comics we could make a living off the circuit yes. and younger people can't now and also you know I was doing comedy at a time we can get housing benefit which you can't do anymore so you literally could get a bed set you could live in London and do comedy or you know whatever but I actually think comics are very different to writers and um, musicians in that you, we don't beef each other we don't we we don't we don't because we're not competing in the same way and Uh, american comics do i feel it's much more prevalent in america that there's like big comedic beefs i will tell you something right this uh young comic in a toilet said to me um oh you know it's 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 women like you that that paved the way for the rest of us to come and i i was like please save it we didn't do it for the good of mankind. <laughs> like, we did. 
I did it to help myself. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. It's you know we, we were all just doing what we needed. You're to just do. trying to get one foot in front of the other and try and get on and try and get something happening. Yeah, and it felt a bit. Dis- it felt it didn't feel authentic. Right, her picking me up in the toilet. I was like, "Look, we can be friends. You don't need to flatter me because." And if you are going to big me up, do it publicly online so everyone yes! knows. <laughs> that fucking means something, dickhead. You know nothing about comics. <laughs> oh, Tiffany, here's a pet. Here's a pet peeve: comics that read my books and write me direct messages to tell me how much they like them. And I hate this about myself because I go, oh, what's the point of this if you can't do it publicly? <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, it's you- nice. You can send it to me, but also, like, I think here's and and we we have to round up on this, but I I think to take that point, I think it's really lovely. We are so quick to go online and critique when we don't enjoy things. Yes. But if you do enjoy someone's work and you're a fellow performer, or even if you're not then say it publicly as well because yeah, that shit help. matters it helps oh, if you ow. love if you love someone's edinburgh show that you went to see or you went to see them at soho theater and you enjoyed that or you read their book say it publicly you can be like send a message going oh, i loved it so much but also do a little hey guys loved this because then you're like and it feels weird for you to ask you don't ever want to ask someone to do that for you as a performer yeah. so it's just nice it's just worth having in your back pocket that like dming is lovely But also, if you really loved it, tell people about the things you love. Yes, I do. My Twitter feed is all love. You should follow Chaparak on Twitter. In fact, as we we, uh, round up, thank you for sharing uh, with us today. And is there anything that you want to plug or promote? Yes, my Twitter handle is at Sandy, And I've got a book coming out on the 19th of July. I don't know when this podcast is going out. Before then. Okay, and my book is called Scatterbrain, and it is about um, a look back on my life now that I know I have ADHD. <laughs> yes, well, we're all in the ADHD club here. I honestly think that, that comics that don't have ADHD need to write books now. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, know, we need to know what life's like for them. Well, yes, read Chappie's book, come see my show Sexy Brain, I'm on tour, that's what I'm plugging. So I refer to it as having a sexy brain because mystery is sexy. (laughs) And I don't know where this is going half the time. But uh, yes, go uh, pre-order Shappy's book um, and follow her on Twitter, across all the socials. Go see her live. She's fantastic. Um, Yeah, I'm on tour from next week when this podcast will probably be out. Uh, If you're near Southampton, buy tickets for that show. Uh, Southampton, Bristol and Cambridge. First week of the tour. We will see you there. Thanks for joining us, Shappy. You've been a treat, as always. Thanks, Steph. We'll see you next time. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.